perhaps continue them later when we get the chance afterwards. It's time to hear God's word, but before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word that has endured through all the ages and it's just as relevant today as it was centuries ago and it can still change lives. Lord, as we listen to your word today, help us to understand it and what it's saying to us and through the Holy Spirit that we will be guided and encouraged and nurtured. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First reading is from Psalm 66, verses 16 to 20. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. And then from Luke chapter 11, from 1 to 13. <clears throat> one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as, ta- as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Then suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask it and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more with your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, good morning. My name's Scott, and I just want to add my welcome to that of Kerry's. It's great to have you with us here this morning if you're visiting us today. Well, this will tell you just how daft I am. It wasn't until Kerry mentioned Father's Day that it kind of connected in my head that today we're talking a lot about fathers, and it's actually Father's Day. So it's totally accidental. I had no idea until about five minutes ago. There you go. 
Uh, there will be a question time after I've finished. Uh, so if you've got any questions or thoughts as we go, just write them down, put them in your phone or whatever. Uh, we'll have a song and then there'll be a chance to ask questions. Uh, so uh, make sure you make use of that. Well, Jesus is like no other figure in history, is he? As you read the Gospels, you read in the, uh, the Bible, the accounts of Jesus' life, uh, there are so many striking things about Jesus. The way that he spoke with such certainty and authority, the things that he claimed about who he was, the way, the truth, the life, the exclusive way to God. Striking things that he did, taking people's donkeys without asking, going ballistic in the temple. And then, of course, his miracles. Striking miracles, feeding thousands with one kid's lunchbox of little lunch and having so much left over that they fit it into big, big baskets. Raising a man who had been dead and buried for four days in the tomb. Jesus is an incredibly striking figure. And one thing that I find incredibly striking about Jesus is his habit of praying. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but as you read the Gospels, something that Jesus does all the time is to stop, sneak out the back door, find a quiet place by himself and pray, sometimes for hours on end. See, it wasn't something he did in front of people, but it was something he did out of a deep need and desperation and desire to do it. He didn't do it to be seen. He didn't do it for other people's benefit. He snuck off because he needed to pray. And so there are a lot of people in the Bible who prayed lots, aren't there? You know, we could point to a bunch of people throughout history who have prayed a lot. But there's something really different about Jesus. And it becomes really striking how Jesus prayed when we recognise who Jesus is. Because Jesus is God. He is God the Son, the, the second person in the Trinity, the Godhead. He, he is God. He's perfectly and completely one with the Father and the Spirit. He is God in perfect relationship and unity. And yet here is God the Son needing to constantly urgently, regularly go and pray. And that's quite striking, isn't it? And when we think about it, I think if the perfect Son of God, in perfect relationship and unity with the Father and the Spirit, if He so desperately depended on prayer each day, what kind of ass am I that I think that I can go through a day without depending on God in prayer? How much more do we mere mortals need to pray? And so I think it's incredibly striking. And I wonder, actually, if that's what the disciples were thinking as they came to Jesus. Have a look at verse 1 there in your printout. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So you've got a disciple here who's putting two and two together. 
Well, John thought that prayer was important. Jesus, you obviously think that prayer is important. So when are you going to teach us? What do we have to do? What's the magic formula? Teach us how to pray. And Jesus responds. He teaches them to pray. Verse 2, he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And did you notice there that Jesus isn't just teaching them what to pray? He's not giving them a magic formula or magic words or content. He does give them a bit of a formula. He does give them the what, the content. But bigger than that, Jesus is actually teaching them to pray. He's teaching them to pray. He's teaching them that they need prayer. He's teaching them why to pray at the same time. So there's always incredible significance in the precise words that Jesus uses, isn't there? He's always very, very exact. And uh, we learn a lot here from his prayer. Because that starts and ends with God's relationship to us and our desperate need for him at every single point and every single moment. And it starts with this word, Father. Now the first, the very first point is that we pray, we are dependent in prayer because God is our Father. Now I remember a time, uh, I don't know exactly what was happening, uh, I don't know what was going on, you know, you have those sort of snapshots of memories where you feel more the emotion and kind of like the little picture snapshot of, of the scene. I don't know if you have those. Uh, and I remember uh, Josiah, uh, he said something to me and I don't know why. I don't know why I was grumpy or, you know, uh, why I said what I said. I think I'd probably assumed what I thought he was going to say, didn't listen to him. Uh, and I remember snapping at him uh, and, and shutting him down. And I remember this look on his face of just being so cut to the heart. I remember just the hurt in his eyes. And at that moment, I thought, oh, no, I've just broken him, the little guy. He just looked crushed. And, and I realised, actually, that you, kinda, you know how you kind of then replay what you actually heard, which you hadn't listened to? And I realised he was asking me a serious question. Uh, he wasn't being a punk. He wasn't being annoying. He wasn't being rude. I was just asking a question. And I remember in that moment thinking, man, what a lousy, lousy father I am. And we all have different earthly fathers, don't we? Different experiences of what it's like to have a father. Not all of us had earthly fathers. And not all of our earthly fathers were loving. Not all of our earthly fathers were thoughtful. Not all of our earthly fathers were gentle or kind or caring or reliable or available or safe to talk to. Not all of our earthly fathers listened to us when we talked to them or wanted to pour out the things that we were going through and struggling with and needed a dad who cared. And so maybe for you, your father is one of the last people on earth 
that you would ever want to go and talk to. Maybe you love your dad. On the other hand, maybe you've got a good dad, but you just don't have that kind of relationship. Maybe just like his emotionally handicapped father before him, he wouldn't understand how to listen and to help you and to care for you and how to know how to be helpful. Maybe you've got a great dad who you can talk to. How wonderful is that? But I think for many of us, this idea of God as father is is at the very least confusing. But sometimes it's just intimidating. Maybe it's even repulsive to you to think of God as a father because the father that you've had is something that you don't want a God anything like. But our heavenly father isn't like our earthly fathers. Our heavenly father isn't impulsive or abusive or distracted or distant. Our heavenly father isn't uncaring or demeaning or unavailable or cold. Because our heavenly father is loving. He loves and cares for us more than we can possibly imagine. He is love itself. He is safety, security, gentility, grace, kindness, patience, goodness. He always listens, always hears, always understands, always embraces. Have a look at what Jesus says in verse 9. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of, your fa- which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? No, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, how much better a father is God than any of you earthly fathers? How much better a father is God than Scott? A way better father. An unimaginably, unmeasurably better father. And yet, even this evil, sinful, weak, grumpy, cranky, unavailable dad can do some good stuff for his kids. How much more our Heavenly Father, who is perfectly love, who is perfectly grace, who is perfectly kindness. And so while our earthly fathers can give their children what they need, ultimately all the things that we need come from God himself. And while earthly fathers give their children the food that sustains their life, it's our heavenly father who gives his children life by giving his spirit who gives life. And while we naturally from birth look to our fathers and our mothers for love and affection and affirmation and acceptance, all of the love and affection and affirmation and acceptance that we really need can only come from God. See, disciples of Jesus pray 
because God is our Father and he is good. Like a small child, we do depend on God for everything we need. I remember when I first had Josiah as a little baby and I remember holding him thinking, you know, he actually relies on us for everything. You know, the only thing he doesn't rely on us for is breathing. Apart from that, if we don't feed him, he will die. If we don't change his nappy, he will get sick. If we don't unstrap him from the car and get him out, he will die. And like little children, we depend on God for everything. Our strength, our health, our next breath, our salvation, our faith, it all comes from God. And so we pray. Have a look at verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. See, we're saying, God, please give us each day the thing we need to live for that day. Not even asking, you know, God, can you please, you know, build up my bank account so that I never have to worry, so that I know that I've got plenty stored up for later. And Jesus says, pray that God will just give us what we need each day. Our most basic and barest needs come from God himself. But more than that, our deeper needs, deeper than our physical needs. Have a look at verse 2. Your kingdom come. Verse 4. Forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. This world's just really messed up, isn't it? Uh, We know that, don't we? A world of dodgy dads and messed up mums, of sadness, of suffering, of death. What's the one thing we need most? It's not just bread. It's God's kingdom. It's an end to this suffering, to this brokenness, to this mess of this world that we live in. We need his kingdom. We need him to come and end the brokenness. But if he's going to come and end the brokenness, we need to recognise that actually we're in trouble. Because we are part of that brokenness. We are contributors to that mess. We are broken. We are rebels. We are sinful. We need forgiveness. And that can only come from the one who we've sinned against. It can only come from God himself. See, at every point... We point the finger at the brokenness out there in our world. We have four fingers pointing back at us, don't we? It's that same old thing. The sin and the mess is not just out there, it is in here, in each one of us. And so we need forgiveness. Thank God, as Psalm 66 there reminded us, that he never rejects our prayer or withholds his love from us. What an amazing promise. When we pray, when we seek, when we knock, when we ask for forgiveness, what does he give us? He gives us forgiveness through his son. He will not reject that prayer. He will not withhold his love from you. Full and free and wonderful forgiveness. And when Jesus teaches us here to ask for our deepest needs, he's reminding us 
to acknowledge that we depend on our Heavenly Father for everything. He's teaching us not the content of what to say, but why we need to say it. That we rely on Him for everything. And so we need to come before Him and and trust His generosity and His goodness in asking Him to provide and give us what we need. But what's this whole neighbour's story about? You can see there in those uh, verses, uh, you've got someone comes to your house in the middle of the night, it's midnight, you realise you don't have any food. What does a normal person do? Oh, sorry, we don't have any food in the house, but come on in and I'll get some in the morning, right? That's what a normal person would do. Unless, you know, unless back in uh, Jesus' day they had sort of a 24-7 petrol station with a supermarket built in that you could go down the road and pick it up. But they didn't. And so what does this guy do? Middle of the night, he does what you just don't do. He goes to his neighbour, he knocks on the door, says, hey, I've got a visitor. So what? No, I've got a visitor. I need some bread. I don't care if you need bread. I'm asleep. I'm in my pyjamas. I don't even wear pyjamas, if you know what I mean. Go somewhere else. But this guy realises, hang on, If this guy's come to me in the middle of the night, he's banging down my door, he's not about to give up, I'm just going to give him some bread to get him off my back. And so he pulls on his pants and he opens the door and he gives him some bread. And so what's Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is saying that, actually something really similar to what he says a little bit later. So let's jump forward. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells another really similar story about prayer. And this time, it's not about a man and his neighbour. It's about a widow and a dodgy judge. And this widow, someone's been ripping her off. And she's been going to this judge time after time saying, give me justice, give me justice, do the right thing. But Jesus says this judge, he doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about what's right, and he doesn't care what people think of him. But one day this judge says to himself, look, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care about this lady. I don't care about God. But I'm so sick of this lady chasing me around, asking me for justice. I'm just going to give it to her so I can get her off my back. And this is what Jesus says, Luke 18, verse 7. If that judge could do that, how much more, says Jesus, will not God... Bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day. Will he keep putting them off? As I think what Jesus is saying in both of these stories together, he's teaching us, one, to be bold in prayer. Like that neighbour who got up in the middle of the night, didn't care about you know, what anyone thought, knocked on the door, was bold in asking for some bread, You'd have to be pretty bold, wouldn't you? Jesus is saying, be bold in the way you approach God with your prayer. Just go to him anytime, anywhere, any place, anything. Be bold. But also be persistent. Like that widow who didn't give up but kept going and nagging and pestering and following him around. Keep persistent in prayer. Now, God doesn't say he won't put us off, does he? You know, what happened to that woman? She got put off for a while, didn't she? What does Jesus say here? He says, you know, will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day? Will he keep putting them off? 
God doesn't promise to give us justice straight away. He doesn't promise to fix everything straight away. He promises that he won't keep putting us off. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes my head do this little backflip of going, well, hang on, how does that work as a good father? Wouldn't a good father who is able to do good do it straight away? And I thought about me. Uh, as lousy a father as I am, sometimes I I'm, do some all right fathering. And, and I thought, actually, you know, there's times that I don't give good things to my children straight away. And I do it not because I'm trying to be mean to them, but for their good. This is, this is how mean a father I am. You ready? When my kids come home from school each day, uh, the boys aren't teenagers yet, but man, they eat more than I do. And they come home and, oh, I'm hungry. It's the first thing in the door. Oh, yeah, hi, guys. You know, nice, nice to know you love me. No, I'm hungry. You got any food? Can I have some food? And I always, I always say, no, not yet. First, I make them do their afternoon tea jobs. They have to unpack their school bag. They have to get out of their school clothes. They have to get changed. And then they come, oh, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Okay, well, where's your lunchbox? Get your lunchbox out. What's in your lunchbox? And they open it up and it's full of food that they didn't need at lunch. So, okay, well, once you've finished eating your food, then you can have some afternoon tea. So I'm a cruel dad, aren't I? Awful. See, that's how me and a father I am. And then a little bit later in the day, when they come sort of 10 minutes before dinner and they start begging for a bowl of cereal, I say, no. Of course you can't have a bowl of cereal. It's 10 minutes till dinner. They beg and they plead and they try again, but I still say no, just because I'm mean and I get a kick out of it. No, I do it because I think it is good for them to wait. I think it's good for me actually to say no to them for a time, to put them off for a time, because I think it's better for them to learn some discipline. I think it's better for them to eat the healthy stuff that I've, we've packed, well, I say, all right, that Keely's packed for them in their lunch boxes uh, so that before they start eating junk food. I think it's good for them to wait till dinner and have the good food that Keely has prepared. Also do it at the shops. Uh, when we go to the shops, my kids, if they have pocket money, uh, they, they just want to buy anything. It doesn't matter what it is. The first question they ask is, how much is it? How much do I have? Can I afford it? Can I buy it? And I always say, no. I say to them, look, you don't really want that. You, you didn't tell me you wanted to get that before we came to the shops. You just want to buy it because you've got money burning a hole in your pocket and you want to buy anything that you see. And so I say, okay, if you still want to buy that in a week's time, next time we come to the shops, you can bring your pocket money ready and we can go and buy that. And what happens almost every time is a week down the track, you say, oh, so how about that thing? And they've totally forgotten about it and they think, oh, I don't really want to spend my money on that anyway. See, God will never make us wait for no reason. He always has a good reason. He always makes us keep asking and keep asking and persist in prayer and he puts us off for our good. Sometimes he doesn't give us the things we need. But what does he give us? 
Well, as we read our Luke passage, we get to our very last verse there. I bet it's not the ending you're expecting uh, Jesus to say there. Have a look at verse 13. See, the good gift of the Spirit probably isn't the gift that you or I were expecting or asking for. But the point Jesus is making is that the gift that God has given us is the gift that we truly need. And when we think, uh, when, when the thing that we're repeatedly asking for is something like healing from sickness, freedom from financial burden, an end to temptation for the sin that we struggle with, when we're praying day after day for relief from pain, for rescue from injustice, it can be hard to really believe that God really hears and gives good gifts. When the thing that we're praying for, we have to wait for and we don't get and God is putting us off, we can find it hard to believe that God really is good and loving and kind and has our best interests at heart. See, the thing we think we need is for the hurt to go away. But God knows that the thing we really need is his spirit to enable us to endure the hurt and to cling to him in the midst of it. See, when we think the thing we need is for life to be better now, God knows that the thing we need is his spirit as a guarantee of the far better life that is to come. He wants us to ask for those things. He wants us to come to him as his father. And sometimes he does give us a little foretaste of that future life now. Sometimes he does heal us. Sometimes he does relieve our burdens. Sometimes he does take away the hurt or the pain or the suffering or the situation. But even if he doesn't, we know that he always gives us the thing we really need because he's already given us his spirit. And that is a thing we really need. And so he will give us what we need. But it may be that in putting us off, he's using our prayer to teach us what those things we really need are. Maybe he's using that prayer to teach me that the thing I really need is not that I stop feeling temptation, but that actually I celebrate his incredible grace and goodness and his ability to say no to temptation, even when it's burning me up. And maybe as I persist in prayer for God, I am sick and I just want this to end. The thing that God is teaching me is the thing I really need, is not for the sickness to be taken away, but that I need to learn to trust him in the midst of the sickness and to hope and look forward to the life that is to come where there'll be no more sadness, sickness, crying, or pain. See, God will give us what we need. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you ask, you will receive. Disciples of Jesus are dependent on prayer because God is our Father and He is good. Disciples of Jesus are dependent on prayer because we rely on God for absolutely everything. And lastly, Disciples of Jesus are dependent on prayer because we are obsessed with God's glory. Have a look at verse 2. When you pray, say this. 
Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So like a a newlywed praising his wife, like a teen praising her idol, like Port Adelaide supporters in a couple of weeks' time praising the 2021 championship winning team for their amazing performance. As God's people, we are totally obsessed with how great God is. We are totally captivated by his greatness. We're infatuated, enchanted, in awe of how wonderful he is. And so we can't help but praise him. We can't help but pray. We can't help but express that to God. God, you're amazing. And so we read the Psalms and time after time after time in any number of crazy situations, God's people pray and tell God how awesome he is. And so locked up in prison, about to die, God's people pray and praise and tell God how great he is. See, we want his glory to be seen and known and felt throughout all creation. We want him to be acknowledged as the king of all kings. We can't wait for a world where he is recognised and worshipped and praised for who he really is. So we pray, Father, hallowed be your name. How awesome you are. Let your kingdom come. Let all the world know how great you are. I remember one of the deepest uh, prayers of my life. Uh, It was at Manham uh, a few decades ago. And uh, I was visiting my grandparents at the farm and uh, I'd gone to visit my uncle had just started a little church. And I have no recollection of what happened in the service. I don't know what he talked about. I don't know what passage we read. I have no idea. But I remember in that service... At some point, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, it clicked for me. Scott, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. You don't have to earn your way to God because Jesus has already paid the price. And in that moment, I suddenly realized the lights came on. Wow, it's all about what Jesus has done. And I remember for just the longest amount of time, Absolutely, tears pouring out of my eyes and all I could say was, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, on repeat again and again and again. See, as God's people, we pray to express our love and the wonder of our God who we serve. We are dependent on prayer because God is our Father and he is good. We're dependent on prayer because we rely on him for everything. And we're dependent on prayer because we are obsessed with his glory. I want to just talk a few little points about supercharging your prayer life. I was going to say spicing up your prayer life, but that was a bit too spicy. So now I said supercharging and spicing, so I got it in both ways. Well, uh, Keely and I, uh, in our marriage, one of the things that kind of comes up again and again uh, is just our communication. Uh, now, I'm not particularly emotionally intelligent. Uh, I've got about the EQ of a screwdriver. And uh, so often my interactions are kind of limited to just 
the kind of really basic surface level interactions, you know, just exchanging information, you know, where did you put my clothes or where did, you know, that kind of really basic stuff. And, uh, you know, organising things, asking for things or whinging. I do a lot of whinging, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. That's about as emotional as I get. Uh, and, I, and then I think actually, well, there was a time when we were dating when we spent hours on the phone just talking. And it wasn't to just exchange information. It wasn't to organise our next date. It was just because we just love talking. And we still do that. And, uh, but the thing is that as a couple, it's really important that you just relate in a way to just enjoy just relating and being with each other and hanging with each other and, and just talking, not just for information, but for intimacy. Not just for relaying something, but for relating together. And so, in your marriage, the first thing to do is to recognise just how good and important that kind of deeper relating is. You know, we need it. The second thing is to recognise the things that work, you know. Well, when do we sort of just chat better? In the car, when we're going for a walk, when we're climbing into bed together? Or, you know, what, what are those times and, and how do we actually... Okay, well, let's do a bit more of that so that we actually do have that kind of deeper communication. The third thing is to commit. You actually say, we're going to do this, we're going to do it better, this is how we're going to do it. You tell some friends, you get them to pray for you, you get them to remind you, maybe you set some reminders in your phone, whatever. And the fourth one, you get some help. Maybe use a framework. Maybe you use like a little uh, questionnaire that kind of gets conversation started to kind of, you know, so you can get beyond just talking about the kids and, uh, you know, who's cooking dinner. Now, it's the same with prayer, isn't it? Those same four things are really helpful. Firstly, we just recognise how good and important it is that we spend time in prayer with God. How much we need it, how much we depend on him. Second, we recognise things that work for you. When are good times to pray? Is it while you're having your breakfast or is your brain not switched on yet? Is it while you're in the car or are you going to crash if you do that? <laughs> you know, think about wh what are the things that help you to be able to be in that space? Jesus did. He walked away. He left everybody. He went off somewhere quiet and he prayed. What's your quiet place to pray? Three, commit. Commit to times. Decide, yes, I'm going to pray each day and I'm going to do it at breakfast or I'm going to do it in the car and... This is what I'm going to do to remind myself. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to share it with some people and I'm going to ask them to encourage me and pray for me. And four, get some help. Get a framework. Get some prayer starters. Use the Lord's Prayer. Use prayers from the Bible and pray them. And as you pray them, think about them and see how that kind of fires off your own prayer to God. Four things. Recognise how good and important it is. Recognise things that make it work for you. Commit and then get some support, some help that will help you with that. I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to sing our next song and then there'll be time for some questions. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you that you have taught us about prayer. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we've thought about just how great and wonderful a father you are, that we will want to pray out of our desperate love for you, our desperate need for you, 
for every part of our life, out of our obsession with how wonderful and glorious you are. Amen.